This is Rob Goldstone, editor of Current Directions in Psychological Science. Today's guest is Dr. Vincent Reed, professor of psychology and head of school at the University of Waikato in New Zealand. He is the lead author of the recently published article, The Feel Origins of Human Psychological Development. It's great to talk with you, Vincent. It's wonderful to be here, Rob. Thank you. I'm a cognitive psychologist in my normal day job, spending most of my research time studying, learning in adults. My developmental colleagues oftentimes give me a bit of flack for all too often ignoring the developmental origins of the learning processes that I'm studying. And they argue that I should really be studying my paradigms in babies too. And that if I don't, I don't really have a full account of how the behavior I'm observing came about in the first place. But in your current directions article, you're pushing this argument still further, arguing that psychologists could be studying behavior even before babies in fetuses as they're developing in utero. So what does psychology stand to gain by studying behavior in fetuses? Well, first, I really like your developmental colleagues because they're completely right. How can you actually understand cognitive structures in the absence of knowing the independent building blocks that contribute to the construction of mind? Uh, so the origins of cognition are critical for understanding how everything fits together in psychological space. And so infancy research is incredibly important precisely for this reason. So you should be looking at infants. I've spent the last 20 years looking at infants myself, so my background is an infancy researcher, uh, mostly looking at social cognition, mostly looking at the electrophysiology of mind, so studies of how infants understand social information. And so actually it's that background that led me to understanding fetuses or trying to understand a fetus. So in the current directions article, I, I do push the point that we must investigate the fetus to understand the origins of all aspects of psychology. So why would you investigate a fetus? I guess that's the question. Uh, there's overwhelming evidence that a fetus is fundamental for all sorts of aspects of psychology, from learning to understanding emotional state structure, to motoric actions and motor planning, um, even to the foundational blocks of the autonomic nervous system um, and how we're constructed the way that we are. And all of those different systems, they feed into each other, they feed back to each other, they interplay with each other. And so if you can do research with a fetus, then it makes sense for you to do so. One of the things I learned from your article is that it's actually possible to study vision in fetuses. I found that somewhat mind boggling. Can you break that down a bit? How can a psychologist study vision in fetuses and what has been found about fetal vision using those methods? Well, looking at fetuses and vision has been something that's occurred for over 20 years. The original studies are ones that looked at neuroscience methods and shone flashing lights or bright lights into a uterus and measured fMRI or uh, fMEG or fMEG. Uh, and those were simply looking to see what kind of response you got. So those are the first sorts of studies, but uh, recently we've done some work where we've actually shone lights into a uterus, but we've tried to create shapes with them. And then what we've done is we've measured an ultrasound 
and we've measured how the behavior of the fetus changes as a function of the shape of the object. So one study that we did was we shone these lights in a certain shape that looked a little bit like a face, or at least it had a top-heavy configuration. And uh, fetuses would move their head and rotate their head more and engage with the stimulus more than if we inverted the same stimulus, so one that had a bottom-heavy configuration. And this fits with our infancy research that's been around for decades, showing that an infant pays more attention to any type of visual stimulus where there's more information in the upper than the lower visual field. So we were trying to really push the boundaries and understand what we could do using these sorts of techniques and really try to harness these postnatal infancy paradigms to see if we could employ them with a fetus. And so that's why we chose to do that first study. Um, and the argument that I would make is that actually now we have to explore all these parameters in terms of what a fetus can do and can we implement a whole series of studies in the same way that you would with an infant. Great, amazing. So going beyond vision, what are some of the other empirical methods out there for studying fetal development and behavior? Uh, and what are some of their advantages? Okay, so there's actually a suite of opportunities there. Um, the ones that have been used the most, I suppose, are just using an experimental two-dimensional ultrasound um, or an ultrasound. And if you're observing what the fetus is doing and not manipulating behavior, then actually you can get all sorts of information just from watching what goes on with the fetus. Uh, so that the advantage there is that uh, you have a direct measure of fetal behavior. Um, it's also um, you know, quite useful for you to understand what a fetus is actually doing, uh, not being interrupted by any type of experimental manipulation. Um, you can also do the same thing with three or four dimensional ultrasounds. So a, a two dimensional ultrasound gives you a, that sort of grainy image that cuts through tissue. A three dimensional ultrasound is one where effectively your computer creates a rendering of a surface. And so it looks, if you're looking at a face, for example, then it looks like someone's face and not like someone's skull or parts of someone's skull. Um, and so that's useful for exploring targeted behaviors if you wanted to look at say facial expressions. Uh, you could also do experimental ultrasound uh, where you start to manipulate variables and try and get the fetus to respond to one type of variable over another or have a hypothesis, obviously. Uh, so do an experiment, which is the kind of thing that I love and that I think is the most powerful form of assessment you could possibly do. Um, and this method will, of course, allow you to make causal uh, infer inferences, causal inferences from uh, what you're doing, um, and you can use experimental manipulations. Then I suppose you can go on to things like heart rate. So you can measure the heart rate of the fetus and that can correlate with all sorts of cognitive uh, and perceptual constructs. So attention, for example, uh, detection, discrimination, uh, changes that occur within the environment. Heart rate's been used for many decades with infants uh, and has been used very successfully uh, to understand these sorts of issues. So in theory, you could do the same thing with a fetus. Eye movements are also something that can be measured, and this is where we're currently looking uh, to try and understand what goes on with a fetus. So eye movements provide this direct measure of fetal attention to visual information within space. And so infancy research has been harnessing the fact that actually infants have pretty good ocular motor control for some time. And really implementing this for the fetus uh, is the next sort of challenge for us. The final uh, way that you can look at these sorts of things is uh, 
postnatal assessments of prenatal learning. So what you do is you present something in the environment of the fetus, you do it a lot, and then when the fetus is born, you test the infant with that particular stimulus that you've presented many times and you compare it to a novel stimulus and you see if the fetus can discriminate. Uh, and this has actually given us all sorts of interesting results. Can you also describe some empirical results that indicate that learning doesn't just begin when a human is born, but rather even fetuses are learning from their environments? Yes, so there's quite a lot of work in terms of auditory processing, the auditory environment of the fetus. Uh, and what you can do is you can manipulate the auditory environment uh, and then test the preferences of a newborn, a neonate at birth. One paradigm is known as the high amplitude sucking paradigm. And this is one that's been around since the 1980s. Uh, so there were some really great studies in the early 1980s by uh, DeCasper and Spence. And what they did is they effectively uh, did a, uh, the newborn babies preferred to listen to a particular story that was read to them um, prenatally. So the cat in the hat was one uh, that was read again and again uh, in that third trimester of pregnancy. Once uh, the fetus was born, they then tested uh, to see whether or not via sucking and the, the infant selecting the particular uh, story of two options. Um, so sucking rate could go up and they could choose therefore select if they if sucking rate went up, then what would happen is that they would then select a particular uh, stimulus train, which would be the cat in the hat. If it went down, then it would go to uh, another uh, story, one which had similar rhyme and rhythm and, and structures within it, um, but in different use of nouns. So, you know, that showed uh, that, that there's no question that actually the fetus learns. It also showed that uh, the fetus has some type of memory because of his recall. Uh, so it gave you some pretty strong indications in terms of those sorts of uh, cognitive structures. There's also, also been studies that showing that melodies, so songs um, that were played prenatally were also preferred postnatally, and that was work done by Dick Aslan in the 1980s. Uh, so it's not just words, it's not just language, it's, it's other forms of auditory stimuli as well. Um, so, I mean, these studies illustrate this influential nature of the auditory environment uh, prenatally uh, for attentional preferences for a, a newborn infant. The studies you just described make a pretty compelling case that fetuses learn. And this makes me now wonder whether fetuses are active learners. So naively, I might think that fetuses are passively soaking up patterns in their environment, but do they also actively orient themselves to pick up on interesting patterns or even give themselves new patterns to learn? So you really have two good points there. Uh, do they actively orient themselves to pick up on interesting patterns? We know that that's the case. So the study that I did in current biology in 2017 showed that the fetus would orient the head uh, to continue paying attention to one type of stimulus over another. So that was actively responding and engaging with that stimulus in their uterine environment. Uh, we also actually did a study that came out last year. Uh, Tim Donovan was the lead author on that paper in Brain and Behaviour. And we were actually looking at where the eyes rather than the head went. Um, and what we found was that the eyes would rotate in the orbital socket to engage with uh, light. And what would happen is if you took the light away, then actually the, the eyes would move around and it looked like a search behavior that you would see in an infant. 
So that would imply, again, engagement with the environment uh, in terms of uh, visual processing, uh, which is really exciting for us. Now, the thing is that the, the fetal eye movements uh, in humans, they're unlikely to be reflexive or random. They're going to be a function of the environment. Um, but it's likely then that they're associated with a history of experience in that environment. And that's the bit that I find really interesting. So a fetus in the third trimester actually has a functioning visual system. The eyelids are no longer fused shut at around about 22 to 23 weeks gestation. Um, and there is enough light that gets into the uterus that the fetus can engage with that environment. We didn't really know that until a model that was done by someone in 2010 called Marco Dalguidas. Uh, and actually that those light levels were way higher than anyone had thought, even uh, if the pregnant woman's wearing clothes. And so that means the fetus is engaging with the environment. And so the second part of your question, um, does, it, does an infant give themselves new patterns to learn? Quite possibly they do because they have the opportunity to engage with their hands. Uh, they have the opportunity to move them in space. They have the opportunity to choose where to look in that uterine environment. And it's likely that the uterine environment has different densities of tissue uh, in different directions. And that means that, uh, so for example, towards the, the back of the pregnant woman, uh, there's more tissue, therefore there's less light. Um, and for the upper uh, areas, um, there's going to be more light. Uh, there's going to potentially be things like a rib cage there, which means you have a, something like a pattern. Um, the maternal abdomen during pregnancy also uh, features uh, muscles, uh, which actually slowly spread during pregnancy, uh, which actually means uh, light will appear in a line, a vertical line, as those muscles spread apart. Uh, and that means that light is going to get in there more easily than in other areas. So there will be patterns, there will be differences in terms of that environment, and that means that there's the opportunity to engage with it in different ways. What was in a developmental psychology or a developmental biology textbook, even a few years ago, was that the environment in the uterine environment, it was dark, and that darkness was adaptive to allow the eye to develop. But now we not the case and so we need to ask the question so what's going on with the fetus and what is the fetus doing as a final question i'm sure that many of our listeners who are pregnant or planning on maybe someday becoming pregnant would like to know what you as an expert make of publicized sometimes even marketed claims for giving your fetus an early advantage in life by enrichment activities one gets the impression from hearing these pitches that if you wait until your baby is born, maybe it's too late. <laughs> so given your research, fetal learning does occur. So realistically speaking, what kinds of enrichment activities, if any, does it make sense for you to give your developing fetus? In terms of enrichment, there's really nothing that you need to do that you wouldn't normally do anyway. The fetus has the capacity to learn, but this is a very rudimentary capacity. We're not talking about rich and robust cognitive structures as you'd have in an adult or even in a toddler. We're talking about a fetus. And so really we're talking about the identification of a voice. And we know already that uh, newborns prefer to listen to the sound of their own mother's voice compared to a stranger. Um, 
if there are if you have a partner then having the partner speak to you and speak uh, to the fetus could be useful in terms of postnatal identification but there's no evidence that i'm aware of to suggest that having multiple forms of presentation of stimuli multiple forms of information will somehow make your fetus a superstar nobel prize winner when they're in their 50s or 60s Okay, that's that's good to know. Um, so that, that's all the time that we have for our conversation with Dr. Vincent Reed. Thank you very much, Vincent, for helping us understand the earliest stages of our own development. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob.